Hey there, Pure Report listeners, Rob Ludeman here. Just want to give you a quick intro to part two of our two-part Sean Rosemarin podcast series. Sean's our worldwide VP of Systems Engineering here at Pure, and we had a really long and detailed and interesting conversation. Uh, hopefully by now you've listened to part one and enjoyed hearing a background around how Sean got started in IT and some of the things that he's seeing around the industry uh, relative to customer challenges. And now we're going to get into part two, where we talk really specifically in a lot of detail around what Pure is doing relative to the modern data experience, how we're taking things forward for the next 10 years for our customers and doing things uh, that are faster and around cloud and simplicity, as well as our evergreen and subscription to innovation. So enjoy part two. And now here's part two of the Pure Report with Sean Rosemarin. But um, first ten years observations on on how things were different. You come in from the outside, you know, coming back in February. Yeah. What, so what, one of the what did you see that was interesting? Right? So like at a, at a bit of a geeky hardware level, one of the most interesting things to me when I started here was um, you think about all flash. Okay. So the concept of all flash arrays, let's call it 10 years old in terms sure. of 10 years of mainstream since we uh, originally kind of went down that path. So that's 10 years for the rest of the market to catch up. Now here's the good news. All flash is pretty pervasive. Yeah. So we made a good bet and right. the market's caught on. But here's the funny part. The vast majority of our competitors... All they did was take an existing drive tray that was built for spinning uh, disk and substitute in a flash drive. Yeah. Didn't change their architecture, didn't optimize the way their system worked, didn't optimize their firmware, didn't optimize the way in which the system... Yeah. Same stack, um, everything. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They just literally swapped out the drive. Now, that's a retrofit. But we all know, right, if you look at what's happening even in the automotive space today, do you think that the successful migration for car companies to electric will be a retrofit? of an old carbureted engine to electric? Or do you think it's building a new car? Yeah, you don't do that. You build a new car, you happen. take advantage of what's it, there. Yeah, yeah. In fact, if you look at what a lot of these drive trays are doing, they have components in them that are completely and totally obsolete. Yeah. They have no purpose. No, there's no reason to have them in there. But they're just there because right. they're snapping into a tray, they're snapping into a yeah. board, they're snapping into a controller that was designed for spinning disc and, yeah. you know, literally- They've, they've always been there, right? Yeah. They've always been there. Yeah, yeah. So obviously the last 10 years are incredibly exciting. I mean, mm -hmm. to think about 10 years of business, right? Coming up on 2 billion, um, 2 billion of revenues, that milestone's ahead of us. Yeah. Um, you think about 7,000 customers and 18,000 arrays in the field. Um, you think about the fact that we're adding over 400 net new logos per quarter um, into Pure. I mean, it's the velocity has not slowed down. Right. Uh, if anything, it's more exciting than ever. Uh, and the velocity is taking us into bigger and bigger and larger accounts um, who are, you know, looking at Pure and trusting us with their entire floor, their entire storage needs for both today and into the future. Yeah, that's always one that's very eye-opening too. You know, you get that little, that initial, that initial hit right? And then you realize, oh, this doesn't require storage tuning. Oh, we just did our first evergreen upgrade and we did it at 11 o'clock on a Tuesday in the morning. Okay, this sounds good. What else, what else can you do? Where else, you know, where else can you take us? Which is, you know, that's kind of a, a fun, fun thing to see. When we well, get that so, feedback, so right? it's funny to hear you say that because I was just <clears throat> at lunch today, we were talking about the concept of, um, you know, Seth Godin and This Is Marketing mm -hmm. talks about building a business on the back of a thousand true fans. Yep. And all you need is a thousand true fans to really get a company moving. 
and you think about our progression in pure. Look, let's kind of call a spade a spade. Everybody's talking the same language. Mm -hmm. Everybody's saying the same things. But the reality is um, what builds a true fan is when you can deliver against the promises you set out. And so many of our clients will have one individual who's just fed up with the status quo and willing to look at something different and comes and talks to us and takes a chance on us. And once they realize we're different, yeah. you know where the magic happens? The magic happens in that next meeting that we're not a part of, where that individual goes and tells the rest of his team, you know what, I tried Pure, and they do deliver yeah. everything they've said. Yeah, what they tell us is actually true, right? These things actually make it easier for us to do our jobs. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And we know from things like Gartner Peer Insights, and we know from you know other peer review boards, um, even Reddit, how much our customers are diehard loyal fans. Obviously, we love the color orange. We can always... Yeah. Uh, you know, see where our fans are when we, we kind of go out there. Um, but at the end of the day, it's that loyalty of delivering against your promise that separates the rhetoric from the reality. Yeah. And really delivers that, that customer experience, right? There's other industries and, you know, other examples where you look at people who are just extremely loyal to a brand because of the experience that they, that they, uh, that they get right when they, when they do that. Oh yeah. And I'll tell you today in the internet world we live in, um, you know, customers are more informed than ever. Yeah. Uh, I'd say in some cases, sometimes the marketing rhetoric can be a little bit noisier than we may have seen in the past because of how much amplification is going on through social and whatnot. But um, when your fans are loyal, they tell the world. Um, and, you know, when they see benefits that they didn't see before, they tell the world. Um, you know, in fact, one of the largest automotive companies in the world just two weeks ago sent us a fantastic email. They had done a uh, refresh of all their infrastructure over the uh, New Year's holiday. Mm -hmm. And they had three infrastructure companies that all committed to do the infrastructure. They all committed to do it non-disruptively. They all committed to do it without having any downtime. They all committed to doing it without any data loss. And? We were the only one who delivered on time. <laughs> we were the only one who delivered against non-disruptive right. and with zero data loss. Yeah. The other two providers were still in the process of actually completing their migration, and we were well past January 7th. Wow. And all they said to us was, thank you. Yeah. Thank you for delivering against the promise you set out. That's huge. Because talk is cheap. Yeah, it is. And you guys performed. And it's notes like that that we receive on a regular basis that just say, you know, like ultimately that one true fan, not only are we happy that they've taken a chance on us and they've seen the benefits, but it builds their career. Yeah. It builds their career to show their management and their leadership, hey, we can do things differently. We can drive real change here yeah. and not just retrofit our way into the future. Yeah. And drive business value when you uh, when you do that. Absolutely. Yeah. So where are we going for the next 10 years, right? I had Frank Barry on a couple of weeks ago, and we haven't published it yet, but we talked all about uh, how, how storage as a service or data as a service-based model is, uh, it's no longer an option. It's pretty much an inevitability. But really, we take a step backwards from that, and with all the, the challenges that you've laid out with the massive growth in data, and the legacy architectures that are there, we're actually kind of looking forward now into more of an experiential realm, right? The notion that you have this ultimate flexibility around data, but that there are things you need to be able to get there, right? To have that true kind of uh, modern data experience. Yeah, it's, it's you know, that is our, our, our new mantra here is mm -hmm. we want to deliver the modern data experience. So let's break that down. I mean, yeah. modern, I think we're all very comfortable with yeah. modern. We want to be modern. Uh, data is, uh, you know, arguably the second most uh, overused wor used word in technology next to maybe cloud. Yep. Um, and the experience. Experience is the one that really hits home because an experience hits you at an emotional level. Hmm. 
It's not just a word. We all know and remember what experiences we've had that were incredibly positive. We also remember the experiences that were incredibly negative. That's right, yeah. Right, so they tend to be very visceral in terms of how we feel about them. You know, I travel a lot on airplanes and I can tell you that just about every airline claims to have the best experience for their travelers. But if you ask the travelers who they fly with, you know, come and come, uh, come and go. The traveler knows who offers them the best experience. Yeah. It's not even close. They'll tell They'll answer you immediately. And so when we think about that from an infrastructure standpoint, there really haven't been a lot of companies that have said, you know, we're really focused on the experience of our tech. Yeah. We're the fastest. We're the cheapest. We have the widest variety of offerings, but we offer the best experience. Yeah. That's, that's kind of a new concept when well, you think about where we yeah. are. And so we're really, we're really, really focused in the next 10 years on delivering this modern data experience, moving from the data center centric storage era of yesterday to a set of ubiquitous data services that live across the edge, the core and the cloud. Mm -hmm. Right. With that, allowing our customers to move from traditional CapEx and OpEx to a new consumption based as a service model. Um, but also expanding our success with Flash as a high-performance storage class. Not just high-performance in the data center, but how do I take Flash, how do I use Flash on and off-premise, right? With a set of compatible data services. How do I also start to scale Flash to maximize capacity or capacity optimized, latency optimized? How do I start to look at QLC and the cost dynamics that are driven there? Yeah. You take all of that, that's, that's where we're headed. Um, and obviously, you know, at the end of the day, we want to continue to look for ways to support traditional applications, SAP, SQL, Oracle, as they move to the public cloud. If you look at, for instance, Cloud Block Store, which we announced last year at Accelerate, when I've sat down with the public cloud providers, they tell us, thank you. Yeah. We'd love those customers to move to native cloud databases, and some of them are. Mm -hmm. But many of them are choosing to keep those systems of record where they are because they run, and yeah. they run well. But we need a extended set of data services that we don't want to build into our integrated cloud platform, but we need them to support those apps. So you take Cloud Block Store as an extension of core cloud infrastructure, and you get um, a real you know, best-in-class place for these applications to live. Um, last but not least, modern means API-driven. Yep. The days of run my GUI and set up my console or even build my CLI, no, full APIs, 100% fully capable with all features intact. Um, and when you think about being able to drive that out, that is the modern data experience. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I think we're in a great position to seize that. Yeah, we are, we are. And, and all, I think the, the part that's interesting, you know, I speak to the folks on the, on the pure as a service team, right. Is that regardless of where it is, the co consumption model applies, right? Whether it's hosted or whether it's public cloud or whether it's on on premises, there's a way that we can make that work from a unified perspective, and that gives you the flexibility and the options to explore different use cases, and deploy data where you want it when you want it, right? Lots of flexibility, and, and, right? And you know what, Rob, with no compromise, because right, that's yeah, the real yeah, key, that, right? Of course, yeah, like, they can do all those things. We've seen we've seen some in the industry take their software running on their proprietary hardware mm -hmm. and decouple it, put it up in the cloud just to prove that it could be done. And all they've done is proven that it doesn't run as well in the cloud. Right. So then, well, once you see that, I mean, obviously you should go and then buy the data center because look, we have it in the cloud if you want it, but it doesn't run so well. When you look at what we do and the way we take our approach to things, it's a little different up pure. When we built Cloud Block Store, we could have quite essentially just taken Purity, snapped it off of our hardware array and put it up in Elastic Block Store. Yeah. 
We chose not to do that because we knew the performance would not be equivalent to what was expected in the cloud. Yeah. It would not be comparable. We would have essentially just put overhead onto public cloud infrastructure. What we did instead was we looked at the way Flash Array was designed and we thought, how could we use AWS infrastructure to create a virtual Flash Array inside of AWS? Took more time, took a lot more testing, took a ton of integration Lots between of engineering. us and the, AD yeah. and the AWS mm -hmm. teams. But at the end of the day, we created a virtual Flash Array. We created a virtual Flash Array that sits across EC2, uh, EC sits across EBS, sits across S3 for immutability but essentially drives to our customers, whether they run on-prem or in the cloud. On-prem, they're gonna get the performance they always expected, and in the cloud, they're gonna get performance comparable to what they would get in the public cloud infrastructure. Yeah, and more than just performance, right? It's it's back to that experience word, right? All the all the things that you get with Purity normally, you're gonna get from that from that cloud experience. Well, right? it's, I mean, here's what I'll tell you, right? You, the, the proof's in the pudding, and when you sit down with some of these providers and you say, why are you excited? Mm -hmm. So I had the privilege of sitting down with AWS last week and asked them why they're excited. And they said, you know, the non-disruptive nature of purity is very attractive to us. And I said, well, you're a cloud company. Why would you care about non-disruptive nature of my, yeah. you know, cloud block store? And they said, well, you know, at the end of the day, as, as AWS, we are constantly looking to optimize our customer's environment. We want to pass cost savings onto our customers. We want to show them that we are in the gain sharing business with them. Huh. So the way that we do that is we constantly tune our instances. We look at the way our customers are using our infrastructure and we offer new and innovative instances for them to leverage so that they can kind of, you know, only buy what they need as opposed to buying a box that's too small or too yeah. big. Yeah. Well, you see, if you look at Cloud Block Store, just like Flash Array on-prem, the non-disruptive nature of it allows for AWS, for the data sets that sit on customers' workloads to non-disruptively move between instances with no downtime. That's a huge advantage. Right. That means not just our customers able to take advantage of our innovation, but as AWS innovates and drives a better performance equation or a better cost equation, customers don't have to wait for the next available outage to be able to move that data over. They can leverage Cloud Block Store for that non-disruptive movement immediately. Interesting. Interesting. I'm glad you shared that perspective. Nice to have access to those folks too, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what partners are all about, right? Yeah, I mean, we're absolutely. all in this together and no, I don't think sure. anybody can go it alone. For sure. But it's really interesting to have them have that realization, right? About the, the non-disruptive nature of, uh, of what we do. Well, it's always nice to see that right? your benefits, not just benefit the customer, yeah, but actually add value to the entire model that the cloud was built on, right. which was run where you need to run, when you need to run there mm -hmm. on only the minimum necessary to get the job done Yeah. with no waste. Yeah. Um, on your comment about performance and experience in the cloud and, and the experience on premises, um, one of the things we talk about in, in modern data experience is around um, the notion that that fast matters. A little controversial, right? Because I would say in a lot of conversations I have with, with perspectives and with clients, they're not always complaining to me about speed mm -hmm. as much anymore. Because, you know, latency at a millisecond you know, how much faster can you get? But you can't notice that. You don't really notice that. Although I guess if, if there's a lot going on in aggregate, then perhaps you would you would notice um, slight differences. And yes, there are certainly apps or, or use cases where things need to be really well tuned, you know, for for the for the for the best latency possible. But does does fast still matter? We say fast matters. Absolutely. And, and contextually, I think we would say it does, yeah. Yeah, the laws of physics still apply. Yeah. I will have situations where my I.O. performance is flat out fully saturated. Mm -hmm. And flash storage is the fastest form of media, Yeah, bar none. 
And we have, you know, I mean, NVMe has brought flash media to a whole other level. We'll start to think about NVMe over fabric. We'll start to think about, you know, the benefits of the next generation of disk to be able to move bits faster. But right. ultimately, speed matters. Yeah, yeah. Um, especially in block-based applications. But it's also about, you know, building, being able to build applications faster. If right. you think of how long does it take to actually set up volumes, assign those volumes, assign the data services to those volumes, get those volumes then assigned to the infrastructure that needs to run and get that out the door. That is part of the cycle time of bringing applications to market. And if you don't have that high level of overhead and complexity, you get applications to market faster. Yeah. And last but not least, um, you also get faster analytics. You're able to actually log get your logs and insights faster off of systems like Elastic and Splunk. Um, but your developers also get the ability to develop faster. They can get access to infrastructure directly via APIs without having to put a request into IT to go and provision. And giving them that ability allows them to go innovate um, without boundaries, innovate without friction per se. Yeah, and that's a big business outcome one, right? Because I think a lot of times we just get bogged into chess beating around, around speed. But when you translate it into the ability to uh, iterate around software, right, around applications, um, whether it's bug fixes or just bringing new features to market. I mean, there's one one of our Latin American companies that does an online, you know, web travel. And prior to putting Pure in, they were only able to put in, you know, three to five new features on the website per week. And, and then, you know, Pure came in and they were able to get access to that data they need, right, the clones of the database, and it's up to 400. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a huge you know, innovation. I mean, yeah, there's some big 40 or 50 X kind of thing attached to that. But if I'm an end user of that website, I'm getting new experiences. I'm getting new offers. I'm getting new functionality, which is going to drive more customer value. And that's oh, absolutely, uh, yeah. I mean, it's, it's pretty clear just about any web business, any portal business, any, uh, website is constantly look for, looking for that watering hole to have mm -hmm. new water at it. Fresh water. Oh yeah. Right. If we go and nothing's changed, nothing's available, nothing's new. We're done. Yeah. And so, you know, ultimately it's cool that all the programmers and developers get the credit for making everything new. But ultimately, um, a lot of times in the infrastructure space, it's our job to enable. Yeah. And being able to say, you have no shackles on you, go nuts, right? Release. I'll still own the CICD process in terms of pushing the button to push it into final production and run in my data center, but do all of your test dev with no throttle. Right. Right. Yeah, it's big. It's a big one. Um, what about cloud? We've, we've touched on cloud. And I, again, like you said, mo data and cloud being the most overused word. So maybe instead of cloud, we would say as a service, right? Mm -hmm. Or service-based yep. as, as a better way to tune the word cloud. Um, but that's that's certainly another facet of, of this, this modern data experience, as we've already touched on. What are some of the use cases and areas you think that that makes sense, right? Where, where that's going to be a really interesting fit as far as, you know, having the data where, where you want it, when you want it. Yeah. So... Look, we're not, you know, I think when we first started out in the cloud era, there was a lot of this discussion of, oh, I'll build applications in an independent source and yeah. I'll be able to move them around wherever they go. Right. I, I'm not seeing a lot of use cases for customers who just want to pick up applications and drop them just because they can. Now, we may get to a case 10 years from now where we have cloud arbitrage and we have real-time meters that tell us exactly what spot prices are and we're able to literally just go and save pennies it, uh, in efficiency, but it, we're not there. Yeah, if we truly get to the multi-cloud that we may get to. We're not there. Right, and, yes. And today yeah. I don't know of a single customer that wants to take the risk of moving applications around to save even a, even a you know, reasonable amount of money. Yeah. Uh, because ultimately their SLAs and OLAs and their relationship with their customer comes above 
um, cost. Yeah. Uh, and it's paramount. What we're seeing though is the transformation of on-prem to cloud. So the concept of moving certain workloads out to cloud where I can reduce cost, but more importantly, because the cloud's not even just about cost, but adding agility. So let's say I have applications that tend to be very cyclical. I only need them certain times a year or on Black Friday or on Boxing Day or whatever other holiday you celebrate, they tend to spike. Those are great applications to move to the cloud. Applications, you're not really sure what the adoption is going to be. It might be yeah. huge, might not be at all. Right. Or single events that happen, some webcast that's going to take up an enormous amount of resource. Much more agility in the cloud than the data center. We're seeing clients also looking to enable multi-cloud um, to break lock-in and enable flexibility. Hmm. Now, this is a really key topic because everybody would love to have a fully, um, their applications fully decoupled from the cloud they're running on. We'd love to have every application be decoupled from the operating system and the platform it runs on. But we all know the best of breed versus integrated solution is a much more complex discussion. Mm -hmm. But more and more, wherever we can start to inherit data services that are ubiquitous across all clouds and those that we can bring into the data center, the better we are. Case in point, if I've got encryption on my workloads, I don't want to start to have separate encryption services in each of my individual clouds. Ultimately, I want to have the data encrypted at the source, decrypted um, in process, and then encrypted again for storage. Yeah. If I start to move things between clouds, I've got to start to pick up different data services. This one for data protection, that one for encryption, this one for compression, deduplication. I start to have to run this very complex catalog. I'd rather see that data plane be ubiquitous. Mm -hmm. um, and then, you know, we also talk about fast recovery. More and more, we're seeing clients who say, I want to be able to recover from site A to site B. But I also, in the event that site A and site B are both not available, I want to be able to, for a short period of time, be able to recover in the cloud. Yeah. Right? We're seeing, you know, lots of customers look at VMC, the VMware on Amazon, as a primary way for them to not just use SRM between sites, but actually be able to recover inside of the cloud. Uh, so whether you call it 3DC, 3 data center, or site to site to site, um, the reality is fast recovery, being able to mount a backup source and uh, restore it quickly onto a block store is an incredible use case. Um, and so you think about this, it's all about giving this consistent experience, yeah. different domicile, right. consistent experience, so that you have the flexibility. Um, and it's not about how many clouds can you consume. Yeah. It's not a race to see how many can I connect. It's about giving you enough choices so that the choices you need are the choices you have, and you're not forced to make unnecessary compromises because of inflexibility in the architecture. Yeah, it's not an either either or thing, right? Right, it's, it's an and. It's, it's an and thing. It's an and right? all the way. It's definitely an and. Um, shifting a little bit, and, and this is a fun one because this came up when I when I talked to um, Cause on the program uh, a couple few months ago, right? We, we honed in on simplicity. I was really curious at getting getting to the heart of, you know, how that came about, you know, and I said, well, when did the light bulb go on for you? And he said, well... I had a whole bunch of light bulbs go on over about 20 years, right? It was just watching all these really frustrating things that people were designing into storage and storage subsystems mm -hmm. that caused him to, and, and I used kind of the word simplicity and he tuned me a little bit and went, it's really more about intuitiveness, right? That was his big word that he called in on. Um, that's something that's been a, a hallmark of what Pure has delivered and that, that, you know, that continues on as well as far as this, this uh, modern data experience. You know, it's, it's, the fact is some people view simple as a negative word, negative mm -hmm. term, yeah. negative to the brand because it feels right. like, oh, it's simple, it's unsophisticated. Yes. Um, but ultimately simple is smart, right? Yeah. Simple is alleviating and eliminating complexity where you don't need it. 
you know, if we didn't have the size of the business that we had, one could argue that, well, you're simple because you don't have these features and you don't have these elements and you don't have these things that, you know, big clients need. Yeah. Look, the results speak for themselves. At the end of the day, um, we have what the market needs. We've just found a way to build it that is significantly more intuitive than the way it's always been done. And hey, we had that advantage because we only built it 10 years ago. Right. We yeah. didn't build it for That's the world of, of 30 years ago. We built it for the world of 10 years ago. Um, but when you think about it, Simple really says, I want immediate time to value. From the time you drop the box at my dock, how quickly can I get it installed? Right. And Cause told you in your own episode. I mean, yeah. literally the instructions to install a pure array fit on a business card. Right there on a card. Yeah. Right. right. But beyond that, I want simple intuitive management from a single tool set. Not a single tool set per function, a single tool set that proactively manages every array in the fleet. My competitors would be hard pressed to say that they can manage their entire storage platform and portfolio with one tool set, and they'd be hard pressed to say that they have direct connectivity to 90% of their customers at all times right. via their tool set. We have that with Pier 1. So beyond that, what that allows us to do is actively see over 17,000 live arrays. What's happening in the field? What's going on with them? Manage the performance, look at the metrics, right? Be able to really look at what's happening and not just proactively manage support, but think about how do we optimize based on what we're seeing, what our customers are doing with those arrays. Um, predictively uh, support them, but also, you know, when you think about this simple element, it's how do I tie into the platforms that they're using? Right. Right. A lot of our customers have embraced VMware. They think it's a great platform. They're using vCenter and they're looking at vCloud Foundation. And we're a tremendous partner. We're fully integrated in vCloud Foundation All in. with yeah. vVols. Yeah. So you think about that. Whether I want to orchestrate across VMware vRealize, whether I want to orchestrate it from System Center, Kubernetes, Ansible, ServiceNow, do you have the hooks for me? Yeah. Do you take care of that? Or do you put me in the middle and say, well, you, you figured it out. Go, you yeah. go write the scripts. You maintain the scripts. Go spend time doing that, right, yeah, um, which is not value-add. And then last but not least and simple is like non-disruptive. And mm -hmm. I know this word comes up a lot, but it's pretty simple. Do you disrupt the environment when you, when you add capacity or change controllers? Do you disrupt the environment when you upgrade firmware? Do you disrupt the environment when you upgrade anything? Yeah. If the answer is yes... It's disruptive. Then you're disruptive. <laughs> you can't put non in front of that. And the reality yeah, is I've yeah. seen all sorts of, you know, conversations around, well, ours doesn't really, and, you know, it's only sometimes, and it depends on the update. No, no. Non-disruptive is binary. Yeah. It either brings your environment down or it doesn't. But more importantly, can I rely on the fact for you to execute non-disruptively? Yeah. Because I'm going to do it when there's no outage window. And if it goes down, it's a potential career-limiting move, yeah. if you know what I mean. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Um. So final one, and, and actually pretty closely related to that, right? We talk in, in terms of, um, I love this term, right? Subscription to innovation, right? You just mentioned it, right? The ability to do things with bringing fresh controllers and bringing capacity online and upgrading firmware and upgrading software uh, without taking an outage. But really that's evolved and is evolving, right? To where, yes, you have this evergreen thing, but really what you're subscribing to is whatever next generation technologies that we have um, without taking an outage, but also now you can do that with a, you know, in, in the consumption model of your choice. Yeah, look, I mean, you know, this one, when you talk about subscription to innovation, it always comes down to evergreen. And I would say, you know, in the one year here, what, what I've constantly seen is that evergreen is often imitated 
our competitors love to try to find a way to come up with another term that sounds like evergreen. They're using thesauruses to look up, uh, you know, synonyms. Yeah. But the reality <laughs> is it's, it's never duplicated. And Kevin did a great job on your last podcast of really kind of ironing it out. But when you think about the fact that we commit to our customers that they will get free controllers every three years, they have upgrade flex. They can upgrade anytime they want with full investment protection. Mm -hmm. We're non-disruptive everything. Software, hardware, disk, all our software is included and you get flat and fair maintenance. Like there is no maintenance increase. It is exactly what it was at the time that you purchased it. There just isn't another offer that matches up there. Yeah. But what it ultimately gets our clients is a subscription to innovation that says, you will decide at your, at the time is right to get that innovation, but we'll never hold you back. Yeah. We will never put you in a position where you have to not just disrupt your business, but disrupt your balance sheet in order to get that innovation. And so, you know, when we think about that investment protection, it's the number one question we get from CFOs. And when I think about what's on a CFO's mind today, when we talk about storage and data, they're most concerned about protecting their investment. They were used to buying in seven and 10 year cycles. And they knew that the data center would be there and they knew that they could basically guess capacity based on historicals. Well, now the cloud architect team's telling them they're gonna to move to the cloud faster. The storage team's telling them they're not going to the cloud anytime soon. But I wanna buy volume. So how do I do that? Well, in our case, we actually don't care. Whether I buy capacity on-prem or I buy capacity in the cloud, it's the same contract. It's the same consumption model. It's exactly the same in terms of how we conduct ourselves. And so what we offer is a model that's truly differentiated in that I will put as much storage as you want into the data center today. I will charge you based on what you consume. Mm -hmm. And if at some point you require more storage, I'll put more on the floor. And if at some point you require less storage because you move those workloads to the cloud, I will pick up and take those boxes back at no charge to you and I will move that capacity to the cloud. The flexibility and agility of that model is truly unique. Um, and so ultimately, you know, let's talk about what this means. Three benefits. Modernize without downtime, that's yeah, a big one. Right. And this three to five year merry-go-round. Get off and, the merry-go-round, yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. some people like merry-go-rounds, but yeah, I would tell yeah, you. Not that one. You know, at the end of the day, I'd rather not go through, um, you know, full infrastructure surgery every three to five years. Yeah, yeah. It's painful. Right. Rent versus buy at your pace. I don't care. It all stays in the data center. None of it stays in the data center. Some of it goes to the cloud. None of it goes to the cloud. Nothing changes. The contract allows for it. And... Um, we bring in all the benefits of on-premise to the cloud. So yeah. all the workloads that require those data services can easily move over uh, or extend, whether it's for test dev or the such. And you might be sitting there thinking, why on earth, you know, if I haven't moved these traditional databases, why would I move them now? Well, I'll give you one use case to think about. All right. One of our early adopters of Cloud Block Store in uh, AWS uh, became a large user of HANA. They're trying to get to know their customer a little bit better, figure out buying patterns. They're really looking at the insights in their SAP HANA system to try to target their next generation of customer. And so a lot of these queries um, take up a lot of infrastructure. Yeah. They take up a lot of storage. And so what they did was they moved their whole test dev environment, their whole test dev instance of HANA into AWS. And in doing so, they actually got 48 to one data reduction Whoa. off of our purity software in that instance. Now you can do the math, that's 48 to one less storage infrastructure they were buying, less EBS they were consuming. And you know, when we talked to them about it, what was kind of funny was they didn't say, hey, we took all that and put it to the bottom line. What they said was we were able to actually run 
48 to one more insights yes. than we ever ran before. Yeah, it was the outcome So the part. value mm-hmm. of their whole project was amplified. Right. Just by one simple data service in compression and deduplication. It's a great outcome. That's fantastic. Mm-hmm. So let's bring it home then, because we've been rolling for a little bit here, but it's some good. I've been wanting to get this, uh, you know, this out, and and you're the you're the perfect guy to uh, to do that um, for us. What you know, again, you travel around, you talk to tons and tons, you know, of folks out there. What would your advice to be or call to action? Right, I'm out there listening, and I'm going, huh, this this sounds kind of interesting. You know, I've I've heard of, I've heard of Pure, I've talked to them a little bit, but there's some really new and interesting things that are in here that I haven't really thought about for that are thought provoking. What, where would you say to go? What would you say to do? Well, so the first thing is look at your current storage architectures. Okay. Right. I mean, ultimately you got to ask your teams or yourself, where's the pain? Yeah. Cause if there's no pain, there's really no impetus to change. Sure. And the pain might not be there today. Maybe it comes down the road. Maybe you see no point where it's going to be painful and we got nothing to talk about, but at the end of the day, your pain's probably going to come around upgrades management or your transition to the cloud the operational things yeah or even Typically. the consumption the right way in which right. you're buying your storage yeah, yeah so then ask yourself what it would take to support 50 percent more capacity over the next three years if your storage environment tripled how many people would you need if it mm-hmm. doubled how many people would you need yeah because the reality is this thing is growing exponentially and soon logarithmically as you bring all your machines online not in a linear fashion yes and then you look across your environment, your block, your file, your object. Think about the new applications that are coming on board and what kind of storage they're going to consume beyond systems of record and traditional databases. And then evaluate the vendor space. Everybody's saying similar things, but dig in. Dig into the experience. How is it to install it, to manage it, to optimize it, to support it, to upgrade it? Mm-hmm. Is it everything that you have been promised? Can you set up a full accelerated lifecycle POC, are your vendors willing to subscribe to that? Will they show you the day in the life? Yeah. And then evaluate that vendor space carefully, looking at consumption that spans CapEx, OpEx, and as a service, allowing you to move to the cloud at your speed. But last but not least, hold your vendors accountable. Hold your vendors accountable to deliver against their promises. Check their references, talk to other customers, and ask for contractual guarantees where necessary. See where the rubber hits the road. What are they really willing to sign up for? And where does it break down? Potentially. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Great advice. Hey, did you have fun? It's a good time. It's been a great time. Yeah. 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 Yeah, We rolled. I let us just keep rolling. Yeah. You know, I know we were going to do some other things, but we already hit uh, past the hour mark. So we'll probably cut this one into a two-parter, but um, man, it was so good to get you on finally. Yeah. I love this. Anything else that you want to you want to share or plug out there um, uh, to everybody listening? Yeah. Look, I mean, at the end of the day, uh, any customers out there or partners out there that want to have more discussions uh, with us, you can follow me on Twitter at, um, at Sean Rosemarin. Uh, you can follow me on LinkedIn. I also have a blog at seanrosemarin.com. Um, I don't tend to blog much vendor stuff. I tend to blog more industry uh, topics and innovations. Yeah. And we are growing as a company. We are always looking for incredible talent, incredible people. Um, Hopefully you've got a sense of where our excitement is, where we're going. And if it's something you'd love to be a part of, we'd love to talk to you. And you can reach out to me directly on that. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I've actually noticed some some folks on your team putting things out on Twitter, you know, on some of the openings that are out there. Yeah, uh, we got a career site and I'd encourage yeah. you to visit it and see what's what's interesting. And if there's a position that you think really suits you, then apply for it. Yeah. Right. And, you know, open the lines of communication like we are a uh, we're a pretty agile young company and we, we love to add great people. And we're pretty open and uh, anybody will talk to you about their experience. Well, fantastic. Uh, thanks for making time, carving out a little time today. Uh, we'll see you back here uh, in the Bay Area in a few weeks, I think, right? Yes. We've got SCO going on, so we'll uh, we'll get rolling with that and get everybody fired up, so that'll be a lot of fun. Um, good luck the next week or so, too, uh, with the rest of the uh, fiscal year. Yeah, thanks, Rob. Yep, and we'll get you on again soon. we got to get those predictions. Yeah, go off to uh, go off to Sean's blog, seanrosemary.com. Uh, some fun predictions for, uh, for year 2020. Not around data and storage necessarily either, really around technology and innovation and uh, some fun thought-provoking things. So we'll touch on that in a further episode. And thanks, everybody. For listening, for subscribing, please do tell a colleague and uh, send your feedback in if you have any topics or ideas or speakers or areas that you want us to cover. And we will keep bringing the orange out to you. And with that, we'll go ahead and wrap for Pure Storage and Sean Rosemary. This is Rob Ludeman saying, don't look back, something might be gaining on you. <laughs>